Um, we're beginning a new series. This is the third new thing. Is we're beginning a new series for the summer. Um, we're going to be looking at the Psalms, starting with Psalm one, and we're going to go in sequential order through Psalm thirteen or so. Uh, that's the plan as it stands right now. Before we begin our uh, a, a new series in the fall. And then next summer, we'll pick up where we left off in uh, Psalm 14. And there are a variety, just several reasons the, to, to kind of bite them off in this way and look at them in this way. I just want to give you a couple. The first reason has to do with the nature of the Psalms themselves. When we look at the Psalms, we're looking at the ancient hymn book of God's people. These were songs that they sung together. And each Psalm, what, it, what it's doing is giving us a picture of the worshiping community God is calling us to be. And so my hope is that as we examine these psalms, that these psalms will also examine us and call us toward a more lovely expression of the worshiping community that God desires for us. Uh, the other reason is that uh, is the method. Like why go one at a time in sequential order uh, through each one? Well, there are a variety of different psalms here. We have psalms of lament, we have psalms of praise, we have psalms of ascent that the people would sing as they made their way up the hill to the temple. There are psalms that curse enemies, we call those imprecatory psalms, and uh, what, are, what are we to do with those things? And so my hope is that uh, as we go one at a time, that we will get to look at a variety of different psalms, because the truth is... One of the reasons this book is so precious to us is that in it we see that God invites a variety of different human emotions to come to him in worship. He invites the parts of us that are sad. He invites the parts of us that are angry. He invites the parts of us that are rejoicing. The whole person is being invited into worship uh, with God. And so my hope is that we'll get a picture of, the, of a, the, a robust understanding of the full relationship that God is calling us into as, uh, as we enter into worship with him. So with that, we're looking at Psalm chapter 1. This is the first psalm. It's an introductory psalm. Really, it operates in that way. But it is a, it is a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm of wisdom. So let's look together. Uh, psalm 1, I'll read it all. This is uh, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers, and the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I, I just ask that you would stir in our hearts to receive what you would have us receive this morning. 
Help us to be present. Help us to engage. I pray that you would protect us from being afraid of conviction. Um, Protect us from being afraid of mercy. And help us to come before your word with, um, with a willingness to be challenged. Uh, with an eagerness to hear of your love for us. And I pray that you would speak to each of us over these next few moments. And Lord, would you help me, your servant, to love these people well and to honor you with these things that I'll say. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So indulge me for a couple minutes. Let's just take a walk through a few of the choices that you've already had to make this morning. So you're all here, so I can surmise that you, um, on a, this is a big deal, on a rainy Sunday morning, you rose from bed. That's a big, congratulations to you all. You have made choices about what to eat. You've made choices, like if you're a coffee drinker, you've probably made choices uh, about how many cups of coffee that you've had. Um, you have uh, made a choice to come to worship this morning, which I'm really grateful for. You have chosen clothes to wear, and you have uh, found a way here. And when you got here, you engaged in conversation with people. And so you have chosen words and phrases that might describe to people how you're feeling or, or what you've been up to. All of these, and it's, what is it? It's 1030 this morning, and you have made innumerable choices that have kind of guided you up to this point. The rest of the day will be like that. And tomorrow will be too. Several decisions all along the way are operating. The ones that we remember are the big ones, right? Like what school am I going to go to? Or, you know, who do I want to be friends with? Those we might talk about and think about. But I would argue that the vast majority of the decisions that we make all day long are operating in some kind of internal space deep in our gut that we don't even fully understand. And when we talk about wisdom, it's that space that we're talking about. What is it that's going on internally that helps me, that shapes me in my thinking and my doing and the way I lean into the world and the way I relate to the people around me? And if you're like me, often it can just feel like wisdom is in short supply. And it often feels elusive. For as important as it is, because we are called on to exercise wisdom just about every moment of every day, it can often just feel like that thing that I'm chasing all the time, or that thing that I need more of. When we look at God's word, we will see, we see just large volumes of wisdom literature placed in here. So Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. Job is wisdom literature. Psalms and Proverbs. Some people like to call James the wisdom book of the New Testament. And and, and all of that speaks to us of God's great desire to shape us into the wise people that he's calling us to be. And you can read every psalm And we should read every psalm and ask the question, what is this shaping God's people to embrace as they sang this psalm together? And this psalm in particular is calling us to embrace 
God's wisdom that is given to us. He's trying to shape us into a wise people that operate with the wisdom that he gives us. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make my way through it. There, the way, kind of in accordance with the way that the psalm is structured. So you'll see in this psalm three different contrasts. Like the psalmist, uh, you know, says one, this looks like one thing and this looks like another. Does that three times, back to back to back. And I'm just going to take each one in turn. And here's what I'm going to say. These are the three points. The first contrast is, is about where wisdom comes from. And the second one is what wisdom produces. And the third one is where wisdom leads. So where wisdom comes from, what wisdom produces, and, uh, and thirdly, where wisdom leads. So first, where wisdom comes from. I'm looking at verse 1 and 2 here. And what the psalmist does is it kind of sets right next to each other two different types of wisdom, if you see it. You see the wisdom of the wicked and the wisdom of the righteous. And one is to be avoided and the other is to be embraced. First, and so what, what, what does the wise avoid? The writer of the psalm puts a big yellow caution sign around examples of false wisdom. So you see, he says the wise avoid walking in the counsel of the wicked and, or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers. Now, some Hebrew literary scholars, hang with me here, okay? Some, some Hebrew literary scholars note a progression in each of those lines. So if you, you want like one line leads to the next, which leads to the next, which indicates a progressing immersion in this type of false wisdom. So uh, it's as if to say, like walking in the counsel of the wicked, it begins with being influenced by such people, right? And then it becomes uh, identifying with them, standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers. It concludes with like taking up residence as one of them. That's the progression of that first line. That's what it looks like. There's a good example of this in the, are you all with me? You kind of pick up on that. There's a good example of this in, happening in the opposite way. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, you know, talking about the law of the Lord, this is the chapter right after God, you know, gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. He says to Moses, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your might. And then says this, follow the progression. It says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you stand up. It's as if to say that as you go, there is an increasing progression of immersion in these different wisdoms that are out there. And the wise know to avoid false wisdom, or the wisdom of the wicked. And you get this sense, it's exactly the sense uh, that we get when we look at what the wise embrace. Look at, look at verse 2. This is, this is a key verse. It says, The wise one's delight is in the law of the Lord. Uh, the wise one loves the law of the Lord so much that he or she meditates on it day or night. And when it's talking about the law, it could be talking about the commandments, but it's really most likely talking about the entirety of the Israelite scriptures up to this point. And there is so, like, we could spend all day, don't worry, we're not, but we could spend all day just on these two verses talking about what they, what they might mean for us. But I want to see, say that we see at least two 
things that are calling out to us in this passage. The first is we see a call to examine our influences. A wise person seems to be able to recognize false wisdom for what it is. And listen, with the way that we do entertainment and the way that we do politics, the way that we do family, the way that we do neighboring, with the way we do work and careers, there is a way in which we have created a marketplace for a variety of different competing wisdoms that we are all interacting with all the time. And it can get confusing. And and I don't know about you, but there is no shortage of voices out there trying to influence us all the time. And there's no shortage of people out there, you know, like telling everybody else that they're wrong about something. And the way forward in the midst of of that, it can be really difficult for us. It can be really hard to discern what wisdom actually looks like. And so the question is that the challenge that I want to put before you is, what am I being influenced by and what am I being influenced toward? Am I spending my days kind of chasing the latest arguments? Or am I centered in alignment with the wisdom that God is calling me to? That's the question for us. And just as we see a call to examine our influences, I also see a call to examine our first loves. Because what's being discussed right at the beginning of the psalm is the fundamental orientation of God's, of, of someone's being. Or, or for a finer point, this psalm is looking at you and asking you to examine your heart's deepest loves. And it is saying that the wise person loves God, loves their word, loves God's word, and seeks wisdom from him. And look, I got to say, this is a deep challenge for us. This is hard. Because there are times when God says things that we don't like. And there are places in this Bible where God might be saying things to us that we don't quite understand what he's doing. And often God's word comes to us as a kind of a challenge. But one of the propositions that we see here and in other places throughout his Bible is that to receive God as your God, really to love him with your whole heart is to lean on his words as the source of all wisdom. That's a deep challenge, isn't it? Like it's almost as if the psalmist knows what kind of a deep challenge that is because it then goes on to offer us a view of what godly wisdom would might produce in us. And this is the next contrast that you see. And what the author does is he sets two different uh, agricultural images back to back right in front of them. And, and it shows us what what godly wisdom might produce in us. And the first thing we see is that God's wisdom produces resilience in us. Look at the picture of the psalm. It it talks about a tree whose leaves do not wither and whose nourishment is constant because a stream flows right next to it. 
That was the same image that Jeremiah gave us uh, that we read earlier in the service. Uh, earlier in the service. So in that area, you would have all of these like wadis that were little streams that would fill up during the uh, during the rainy season. And the psalmist is saying that what you have here is a stream that never ends. And is constantly feeding the strength of the tree. And so the image that's given to us is that um, as just as a tree's resilience is fed by the constant nourishment that the stream offers, it's saying to us that our inner beings, the place where wisdom operates deep within us, is strengthened by constant nourishment from the Word of God. And it's set in contrast with what happens to chaff. So it's picturing for us that what ha- the winnowing process. And if you're not familiar, when they would harvest wheat, you would have a pile of wheat and chaff all mixed up with each other. And you would break out a winnowing fork and you would dig it up and you would throw it in the air. And the chaff was light and would get carried away by the east wind. That was the, it was a process of separation where the wheat, which was substantial and you wanted to keep, would just fall to the ground while the chaff would be separated by the wind. And what it's telling us here is simply to say that wisdom produces a resilient substantiveness in people and they remain while others might be carried away by the latest wind. That's the encouragement, is toward resilience. But we also see generosity here. You see a tree that yields fruit in its season. Now, it's not rare for the people of God to be compared to uh, different plants. You see that kind of all over the Bible. Trees are a popular image in various places. Uh, God's people were a vine taken out of Egypt. Uh, at one point, Jeremiah despairs. You see God's concern that they have become a degenerate plant. Like, what's going on there? Well, the picture that we have here is that Israel is supposed to be a tree that has something to offer anybody they might be around. When God called, um, when God ca- called Abraham to be a father of many nations, you see this early in Genesis 12, I will return to it often with you. But when God calls Abraham to be a father of a nation, he says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. You, you, one of the fundamental core identities of God's people is that we would be a simple vehicle of God's blessings to, to those who are around us, to our neighbors. And that's the picture of what a healthy tree has to offer. It always has something to give. And the generosity that we are called to as as God who is generous to us is that we would, a wise person would see opportunities to be generous and would have something to give. So you see resilience, you see generosity, and then I want to say you see joy. I'm not sure this is the right word. My, my Hebrew uh, professor might get mad at me for saying this. But, but did you see how the, the whole psalm begins in verse 1? How does it describe the wise person? It calls that person blessed. 
Now, I know it's uh, college recruiting season right now. My Twitter feed is full of hashtag blessed. And we kind of lose sight of what that word might actually mean. But you know how you would literally translate blessed? Be happy. But happiness, as we understand it, doesn't quite picture what this word means. This word is describing a deep and abiding happiness that the wise person operates with. It's like it's impervious. It's an impervious happiness. I like to think of it as joy. And the wise person that really understands all that God has done, who is seeking to nourish an understanding of who God is, the wise person who is cultivating a rich relationship with God will be characterized by blessedness or joy. And listen, I cannot think of a more encouraging picture that this psalmist lays out for us of what godly wisdom produces in us. Like I almost want to just stare at these two verses and just be reminded about what God is doing in each one of us as he, as he sanctifies us in him. And the truth is, is that wisdom from God invites resilience. Because even when the world is changing, when our circumstances are always changing, when the, when the, the playing fields on which we carry out debate and conversation and friendship, is, is all that is shifting all the time, We can be resilient because we know that God is sovereign and he is in control. And so we don't have to be afraid. And wisdom from God invites our generosity because we know that we are in relationship, we worship, and we receive generously from God who is generous to us at all times and in every season. And so we can give freely as we have opportunity. That's what godly wisdom breeds within us. And we also know that wisdom from God invites our joy. Because even in the midst of suffering, we know that we have a loving Heavenly Father who looks at us with eyes of love and cares more about our joy even than we do. And nowhere is the peace that God's wisdom brings more clear than when you look at the next thing the psalmist does. It talks about where wisdom leads. What does it say? What does it say happens to the wicked? Verse 5, it says, they, they will not stand in judgment. It says, but the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. And, and, and everything I read, every single scholar will look at this and it will tell you that the way uh, that what what we mean by the Lord knowing is far deeper than a general cognizant awareness of something. Like I now know the shape of some of your faces now because you're not you know like a, that would just be a basic knowledge. But this word here is indicating a deep knowing. It is as if to say, if the Lord knows you, He knows you in your inner being. And it says he knows the ways of the righteous. And there will come a time, the psalm says, when the righteous will be known and vindicated in judgment. Now there's a problem here, isn't there? 
Because just in assessing some of the decisions that we've made just this morning, we know that we don't stand in the way of righteousness all the time. Or sometimes even often. We know that our hearts flirt with, with, with the wisdom of the wicked or a wisdom that we are not called to. We know that all too often we deviate from the path that, that, that God lays before us. And so that's why it's fascinating to me that you know what Augustine says about Psalm 1? He says this psalm is a centuries old description of the man Jesus Christ. This is not a psalm tempting us with something that we can never have. It is laying the groundwork for how we're to understand the very embodiment of wisdom in Jesus himself. I came across a story about a man named Joseph Flax. Joseph Flax. And he's a Hebrew uh, literary scholar who was visiting Palestine in the early 20th century. And he had an opportunity to address a number of Jews and Arabs, those who were well steeped in, uh, in the Old Testament, and decided to preach on this psalm, Psalm 1. And as the story goes, he read it in Hebrew. And then he asked the question, who is this blessed man of whom the psalmist is speaking? It says nobody spoke. It said it was completely silent. Which for a preacher can be unnerving when you ask a question. And then one old man said, uh, oh, sorry, then uh, one old man said, is it, is it Abraham? And somebody else responds, no, he denied his wife and he lied about her. And then somebody else says, how about the lawgiver himself, Moses? And of course, no, it can't be Moses because Moses killed a man when he lost his temper. And then somebody else asked, is it David? Well, no, David was an adulterer and a murderer. They are not the perfect embodiments of the law that are given out. And there was a long silence. This is a true story. There was a long silence and an elderly Jew stood up and said, my friends, I have a book here. And I have been reading it. And if I could believe this book, if I could be sure that it was true, I would say that the man of the first psalm was Jesus of Nazareth. And listen, the hope that God offers you this morning is that the promises that are laid out in Psalm 1 are yours through faith, not in your perfect obedience, but in Jesus' perfect obedience. That he walked the, the, the wise path that we are called to. And he, he endured the death that we deserved. Also that one day when we stand before God, we will be considered, we will be known as righteous. If you look to him with eyes and faith, your life is all wrapped up in his. And his life is all wrapped up in yours. And his joy is your joy. And his wisdom is your wisdom. And the more we come to love the law as God give it to us, the easier we will find it to love the very embodiment of the law, the very embodiment of perfect wisdom itself, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. And Father, we are grateful for who you are. 
And we're grateful to worship a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. One who would, who pre-eternally resolved to send his own son to redeem us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that the more we grow in our love for you, that you will help us to know, to love, and to understand your word given to us. Help us to cling to that above all other things. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, edify us, convict us, and lead us in joy. And I pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.